University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. I certainly give thanks this morning for the many languages by which the gospel is being preached and changing lives around the world. On this Pentecost Sunday, we join together in a responsive prayer this morning. Um, Our response this morning uh, will be, Spirit, breathe life into us. And so what I invite you to this morning is I'll be offering up some words um, on our behalf in a word of prayer. And at various times throughout the prayer, you'll join me in saying, Spirit, breathe life into us. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, inspire our hearts with your fiery presence. Let your flame burn within us, stirring us to action. And so we pray, Spirit, breathe life into us. Come, Holy Spirit, energize our lives to work for God. Let your wind of hope swirl around us, lifting and moving us from complacency. And so we pray, Spirit, breathe life into us. Come, Holy Spirit, pour your blessings on us. Let your presence challenge us to proclaim God's presence and love in everything we say and do. And so we pray, Spirit, breathe life into us. Come, Holy Spirit, hear us calling. Hear us calling you. Give, our, give us the gift of life to us that is the church. Teach us your ways. Guide us and point us in the ways of truth and hope. And so we pray, Spirit, breathe life into us. Pick us up and propel us forward into your world. Help us to remember that you have given us what we need to be your disciples. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. When I was a kid, there was certain movies that might cause a nightmare or two for a couple of days. Uh, Of course, as I got older and was able to start watching especially 80s horror movies, the Freddy Kruegers and the Jason Voorhees and the Norman Bates of the world uh, would really do me in for sleeping at night. But when I look back, there is one who takes the cake, the one who who started it all, and that is the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh, With her green skin and pointy nose and high-pitched voice, that lady scared me every single time I saw her on the screen. This lady was my first and earliest experience with a movie villain and subsequent nightmares that come in turn. You know, the Bible has a lot of villains. Goliath, Jezebel, Pharaoh, Saul of Tarsus, Ahab, Haman, Cain, Judas, Delilah, the Philistines, Caesar, and Herod. There's a very clear line between right and wrong, good and evil, hero and villain. And the Bible might call villainy by the name of Jezebel or Goliath, but at the core of these stories are lessons of fear 
and rejection and isolation, control, addiction, failures, mistakes, change, failed expectations, and timidity. And as much as things change, they really do stay the same. We live in a world where people are susceptible to crippling obstacles. Three out of four Americans reported that they have experienced at least one stress symptom in the last month. And this was a study done well before we hit this COVID-19 crisis. The leading cause of stress in today is, is money and work and health and relationships and self sleep deprivation and, and the future. And what we fail to often see, often in the middle of these conflicts and chaos, is the crippling obstacle is that it is preventing us from living the life that God has designed us to live. And so we're entering into a new conversation entitled Dumping Jezebel, Boldly Stepping Beyond Life's Greatest Obstacles. And each week, we're going to focus in on one of the fiercest emotional obstacles that prevent us from living the way God desires. And this morning, we're going to begin in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, verse 1. This morning, we're going to encounter the title character of the series, Queen Jezebel. And just the name alone stirs up trouble, because the name itself has become a euphemism for a morally unrestrained woman. So who is Jezebel? She married King Ahab of Israel. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess, an outsider, a pagan to the Hebrew religion and its way of life. But Jezebel must have had some sort of sway with her young husband because she convinces him to establish multiple sites of religious temples for the Canaanite gods, Baal and the goddess Asherah, all over the land. The royal palace was filled with the priest of Baal and Asherah speaking influence into the, the royal couple's ears and influencing policies and procedures for the Hebrew people. And at this point, we, we need to understand that Jezebel was not doing anything new. You see, other people had influenced the Hebrew people to split their loyalties to God. And in fact, monotheism, the worship of one God, was, was a very uncommon practice in this day, which made the Hebrew people a bit out of the ordinary. And Jezebel was not doing anything different than the Hebrew people had done themselves when they had conquered a territory and influenced the worship of one God as their primary allegiance. But what shifts in the story in 1 Kings chapter 18 is where Jezebel orders the systematic hunting down and murdering of the Hebrew gods, priests, and prophets. Those who remained solely faithful to the Hebrew God were, were terrified. The priests and prophets were driven into hiding in fear and, and turmoil. They, they mourned for their murdered friends, they, their colleagues, their sojourners. They were awaiting this alarming anxiety that their future might come to an end soon. And one particular prophet of God was a man named Elijah. Joins the suits and the rest of his brethren in taking refuge in a cave. There he waited in fear. I want you to consider what are you afraid of. For, for fun, I, I looked up some of the more humorous phobias, and let me just say this is a, a nod of respect to anyone who has any of these legitimate phobias. But did you know that there's actually a phobia called the fear of relatives? Some ladies watching this are thinking, yeah, have you ever met my mother-in-law before? Of course, there's a, another uncommon fear in which someone has a fear of peanut butter getting stuck to the roof of their mouth. I would add in there the fear of ham and cheese sticking to the roof of your mouth as well. But probably one of the most uncommon fears that seems very reasonable 
is the fear of zombies. Lord, I hate it for the person who's watching a football game at Tiger Stadium with 107,000 people when the zombie apocalypse breaks out. That is the worst place to be trying to get to an exit. To our evolutionary ancestors, the fear, uh, fear was a necessary emotion. Our minds and bodies need to tell us the difference between uh, acute Jurassic lizard and the Tyrannosaurus rex. Fear is a, is a physical, emotional, and spiritual and psychological response to threats. Fear is a, a vital and powerful emotion that alerts us to danger. Today, we might not fear T-Rex coming to eat us, but that doesn't make our fears less legitimate. The most common fears in America today either are the fear of inadequacy, uncertainty, failure, rejection, missing out, changing and losing control, being judged, something bad happening, or getting hurt. Of course, there are the other common fears, the fear of spiders and snakes and heights and flying and dogs and thunder and lightning and injections and germs. Fear is a natural and necessary aspect of being human. It's, it's how we are made. And maybe if you're thinking that you don't have a fear, probably your fear is the fear of being wrong. I've often been asked what I fear the most, and ever since I was a child, I've loved the water and the ocean. I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau when I was a kid. And yet, if I'm honest, I have a healthy fear of sharks. These are mysterious creatures that are stealth wraiths in the water. They, they are lurking all around you, and you have no idea that they're there. And yet, that's not going to hold me back from getting in the water with them. In fact, uh, when I go to Cape Town, South Africa for my doctoral program, I'll have the opportunity to actually get into a shark cage among great white sharks. What do you fear most? It's a little difficult to talk about overcoming fear if we can't actually identify what we're afraid of. You see, for the Hebrew people and the religious faithful, that was an easy answer. Jezebel and her minions. The prophets of Baal and Asherah were systematically hunting down and murdering them. And Elijah was one of God's prophets who understood this better than anyone else. Therefore, he was hiding in a cave to avoid that legitimate threat. And for some, identifying what we fear is super easy. It's, it's something we live into every single day. But for others, our fears are not as obvious. So consider a few questions. What do you hate doing? And what makes you feel uncomfortable in the thought of doing it? What causes you anxiety in the thought of having to do this thing? Is there something in your life that you really want to do a certain passion or a certain dream that you have but aren't doing because you're scared? Have you avoided certain places or certain people or situations or conversations or experiences? Maybe the most common cause of common fears will be identifying our Jezebel-like obstacles. Some people find uh, unreasonable and, and horrific um, and some other legitimate fears, such as, uh, did you know that people fear ducks watching them? It's actually a fear. I, I looked it up and found it. it's unsettling to know that those lipless creatures are staring at you. Or I've actually had some former employees of mine who had this fear, which is the fear of work. You see, as we identify our fears, we also have to understand what it does to us. The great philosopher Soren Kierkegaard put it this way, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. See, people 
often refer to the psychological changes that occur when they're experiencing fear. It's called the flight, fight or flight response. In other words, we either fight or run when we're facing what scares us. And our, our body's experiences, all sorts of physical changes of fear take place, such as breathing rates increase, heart rate uh, flows to suit, um, our, our blood uh, vessels begin to constrict, uh, the central blood vessels around the vital organs uh, dilute by, by flooding with oxygen and nutrients, and our muscles are pumped with blood and, and react. That's why you get those goosebumps, or chicken flesh, as you might call it. You see, Metabolically, levels of glucose in our blood spike, providing a ready store of energy in need of action in this uh, crisis. And similar levels of, of calcium and white blood cells in the bloodstream also see an increase. So this fight or flight response begins in your brain and, and, and quickly moves throughout your body as it processes the emotions you're facing. And the emotional response to fear is highly personalized because fear involves some sort of chemical reaction in our brains. The positive emotions like happiness and excitement do uh, eventually go away, and this surge of energy happens within our body. And fear is in incredibly complex. Some fears may be the result of experiences or traumas, while others uh, may represent something else entirely, such as a loss of control. Still, for others, fear may occur because they cause physical symptoms, such as being afraid of heights because you feel the dizziness and the sickness in your stomach. As one person put it, no power effectually robs the mind of all its powers of acting and reasoning as fear. As we turn to our story in 1 Kings 18, we find that fear will drive people into hiding out of fear of their way of life, their beliefs, and their existence. But what if living in fear is not what God desires for us? What if our fears are preventing us from being the person that God desires for us to be? What happens when we are asked to face those fears? And this is what happens to Elijah in verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. This exchange seems super easy. God speaks to Elijah, telling him to go out of hiding and confront the very powerful people that forced him into hiding in the first place. So either Elijah is a perfect person, person of faith, or it, the biblical writers didn't have the wisdom and understanding to write Elijah's honest response to God, which probably was something like, uh, God, I can't hear you. We must have a bad connection. Can you call me back later on? W what is it about this interaction with God and Elijah that seems so unsettling? God instructs, and Elijah obeys. God says, get out of your hiding and face your fear, and Elijah does just that. That seems too easy. And maybe God knew that if Elijah stayed in that cave, that, that matters only to get progressively worse. His fear would only increase in his life. Maybe God knew that the life Elijah needed to live was not bound and chained by the shackles of Jezebel and her minions. Maybe God knew that the best thing for Elijah and God's people was for him to face his fear. So what if God wants us to do the same? What if God wants us to face our fears? 
Elijah walks out of the cave and summons a meeting with Ahab, and then 1 Kings 18, 17 happens. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went through and sent out word through all of Israel and assembled the people and the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How longer will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Again, again, the people of Israel, whose name means wrestles with God, live in a cyclical pattern of right relationship, disobedience, and turning back to God. Again and again, right relationship, disobedience, and turning back to God. And at this point in Israel's history, they've taken on the practices and customs of their king, Ahab and the queen Jezebel. So they've taken up the worship and customary practices of the Canaanite gods, Baal and Asherah. And for modern world, especially for a more affluent and religiously accepting society, it's hard for us to see why this is such a big deal. I am a huge proponent of religious freedom for all people, no matter their faith practices. But there's something going on here besides the first command to not have no other gods before Yahweh. For the Hebrew people to step into another religious practices, namely the sexual worship practice of Asherah. I can imagine the ancient Hebrew man trying to convince himself that they should convert to Asherism. Um, honey, honestly, it's no big deal. We, we go and do these worship practices and do these things with these, these Asherah practices, uh, with these priestesses. And so not only are they foregoing their fidelity to God, but now they're throwing away fidelity to their marriages. And then they begin to engage in these sexual worship practices with Baal and Asherah, but it didn't stop there because it was common for Baal worship practices to have human sacrifice. Who, who's up to killing a child or two as a result of having a better harvest? This is the mindset of this ancient Canaanite religion. And if that wasn't enough, if you didn't have a child to sacrifice for a better harvest— it eventually led to uh, manipulating and, and drawing blood on your own self to appease the God. You see, it's a slippery slope of allowing a theology of another God. It quickly turns from human sacrifice and mutilation. And what's at stake here in this passage? It's a very challenging pa passage, but what's at stake here is the heart and the soul of the people. What we worship and how we worship is an outward expression of our heart and our soul. And do you see what the issue is here? Once you've committed one practice, why not take on all the other practices? Why not divide your heart and soul among so many gods that you worship? And the fracturing of our heart and our soul destroys the very foundation of who we are. And by dividing our consciousness between so many gods, so many allegiances, so many lovers, you are tearing and fracturing your own humanity. And once you have let into this idea, we can devote ourselves to so many different gods, then we are tearing ourselves from end to end. It is therefore the effect of the mind and decisions of our lives that are split. And so what we see here is Elijah trying to call the people out of one practice back into faithfulness to God.
What transpires next in 1 Kings 18 is one of the most fascinating stories in all of the Bible. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal and Asherah to a sacrifice off. Each religious sect would be given an altar and a chance to call down fire from heaven to burn up a sacrifice on the altar. And Elijah does the kind thing and, and lets the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah go first. And it tells us that they begin to call out, they begin to dance, and when dancing didn't work, they begin to slash themselves, letting blood flow as a way to appease their God, but nothing happened. It was then Elijah's turn, and he did this, the strangest thing. He had the sacrifice of the bull placed on the altar, and then he proceeded to douse the entire sacrifice and the altar with water. It says there was so much water that it was pouring out over the trenches around the altar. And then verse 36 happens. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, The Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, and I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then a fire from the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water around the trenches. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, Elijah wants nothing more than for it to be emphatically clear that God is the only God. But, but more than this, Elijah wants to prove that God is God's self, to show God's self, to, to demand that God listen to his prayer. Answer me, Lord, he prays. It's a prayer of passion and purpose. But the key is in verse 37, the purpose behind this entire showdown. Lord, so that these people will know that you are the one true God and they will turn their hearts back to you again. There it is, heart. God, prove yourself. So these people's hearts will not be filled with fear, but be filled with something else, to be filled with hope. And I think the first thing we can learn about overcoming our fears is that God is the force that helps us see into the core of our fears. If it were not for God, Elijah would still be stuck in that cave, shivering in terror. If it were not for God, the people of Israel would be wavering between two dual allegiances. If it were not for the wisdom of God, Elijah would not have been able to do what he was done. You see, God helped Elijah to see beyond the object of his fear, Jezebel and her prophetic minions. And God helped Elijah see that this fear was holding him back from a better reality that God had in store for him. See, how often that is what fear is. It's a condition mentally that convinces us that we are not safe, that we cannot overcome, that we must submit to what terrorizes us. How many of our fears are rational and logical and factual and true and something we have merely convinced ourselves of day after day, year after year, decade after decade? What if the wisdom of God in our lives can pierce through the hard shell, and get into the core of our fears, helping us realize that, that, that what they are and, and how they might be overcome in our lives. What if God's strength to nudge us to take the first step on taking on our fears and equipping and empowering us uh, along with overcoming us? 
What, what might it take for God to open our minds and our souls to hear the Spirit of God conjuring us out of our caves of terror and into the radiant light of God's strength and courage? John put it this way in his first letter. So we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. Did you hear that? There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. There is no fear that we can address that is so legitimate. Sometimes, sometimes there are fears that are legitimate, like uh, the fear of shark or the fear of dying or the fear of a thousand paper cuts. That's a legit fear, by the way. But there's one more fear I came across that seems so legitimate. It's a new fear that's developed in the last decade. It's actually a fear of not being with your mobile phone. <laughs> Yes, in our hyper-connected world, we have developed a new fear, a fear of not being able to text or call or influence on Instagram or troll politicians on Twitter. Some fears just make rational sense. It, it would be a mistake for us to hear this morning that the message is, just believe in God and you'll overcome all your fears. Faith is essential in overcoming our fears, but God has also created us to be rational and complex emotional beings. The same fears we have developed year after year uh, take work in overcoming, much like other mental habits we have created. The amygdala, the, the, the part of your brain that controls emotions and fears, the same part of your brain that controls emotions, survival instinct, and memory. God has equipped us and others to help us overcome our fears by having the courage to face them, but also by having the courage to talk to others and learn about our fears. Have you ever experienced uh, what your fear is, that, that maybe it's an indicator of something more? What is fear trying to tell you about yourself and others and situations and outcomes? See, surrounding yourself with people who reinforce your values and your strengths, who stand up today and stare down what haunts you. Fear often is a result of a tremendous anxiety or post-traumatic stress from legitimate situations and people. Again, God has given us people who have the wisdom and knowledge to find the clinical ways that we can overcome those kinds of fears. I believe that God spoke to Elijah right at the heart of his issue, a fear of Jezebel. There in his cave, what a, what a wonderful metaphor of what fear does to us. Elijah was overwhelmed with facing what could end his life. And this terrorized him. Elijah had to make a decision to cower in dread or believe that God would equip him to face his fears. And when Elijah chose to believe that God would help him dump this Jezebel, God gave him the strength to step out of the cave, the words to speak, the courage to rupture the people from their divided hearts, and the wisdom to depend on God's leadership. Today, Will we cower in our caves, or will we step out in fear? 
Will we allow the Jezebels of our world to tower over us, or will we believe that God will give us all that we need to overcome our fears? As one author put it, without fear, there cannot be courage. Or as Nelson Mandela put it, I learned that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man or woman is not he or she who does not feel afraid, but he or she who conquers that fear. From our scripture this morning, we see the remarkable invitation to overcome our fears. We are created by a God who is not some distant cosmos sitting on a throne. Instead, on this Pentecost Sunday, we are reminded that the Spirit of God dwells within us and equips us to take on all that we face in this world. This morning, may we step out in courage and dump Jezebel in all of her fears, following Jesus as we boldly step beyond life's greatest obstacles. We invite you into a time of reflection and response this morning. I have a couple questions you might want to consider on the screen. What do you fear? How is your fear holding you back? And how might God speak courage into your fear? We invite you to reflect on these things.